0: your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, book of Exodus chapter 5. And as you're doing so, I want to give a a shout out to the youth and the leaders who on Friday night had a lock-in here and got like zero sleep. And so, um, Congratulations for being here this morning. Um, I can see if you fall asleep, by the way, um, but I think I think you're gonna. <laughs> I may have caught Leo a time or two, um, but I, I I appreciate what the what the youth are doing. They had a they had a great time, and. Um, in my experience of lack of sleep, it's usually the day after uh, the event happens. That's usually the worst. So, hopefully, youth, you can track with me here, and uh, and leaders as well. Um, and so, uh, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter five uh, this morning. Now, let me take a little poll. How many of you have ever had a bad day before? Okay, there are some people that didn't raise their hands there, so they must never have had it. How many of you have had a bad week? Okay, great. How about a bad day or a bad week that just seems to keep getting worse regardless of how you try to remedy it? How many of you? Kitty's firsthand up there. Yes. You know, I've had days and seasons where it seems like Murphy's Law, you know, Murphy's Law, what can go wrong, uh, will go wrong, is not just a, um, an adage, but it is actually a reality you know it seems like there are seasons that when they come up it's really easy it's really easy to get into a funk and it's really hard to get out of that mindset So how do you find encouragement in these sort of times? You know, how do you find uh, the encouragement that an old Kidman's Call uh, song that said, Hope to Carry On. Where do you find hope to carry on in such days? That is the very question that our text wants to answer this morning. And so I'm going to let the cat out of the bag uh, and on the outset let you know where we can find our encouragement and then I'm going to unpack it. And show us how uh, we can find that. And so today, I want us to know, and for myself and my own heart to know, that when life gets harder and not better, we can be encouraged because of who God is. When life gets harder, not better, we can be encouraged because of who God is. And there's two ways that we can do that. The first is that we need to examine our own hearts. We need to examine our own hearts. When we think of the book of Exodus, um, our minds typically go to the big events that happen in the Exodus, right? We, we think about the parting of the Red Sea, which we'll get to. We think of uh, the plagues. We think of the, the God giving Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. We, we think of the, the construction of the tabernacle. And all those things are good things when we think about the book of Exodus, but The book of Exodus is a book that zeroes in on life from ground zero, and it asks the hard questions, the big questions about God that oftentimes we're afraid to ask when we're around other, other Christians. Why does God let his people suffer? Why does he not intervene? Why do things seem to get worse sometimes the more faithful we are? Why does God sometimes call us into something only to fail? Is God actually good? Does God care? It's these kinds of questions that the Israelites now are asking in chapter 5. Now, if you remember from our our last uh, couple studies, the, uh, the Hebrews have been in Egypt for about 400 years. For about the last 100 years or so, they've been in intense slavery, and they've been in slavery because of the goodness of God, that God has shown his promise to his people. If you remember the Abrahamic promise, where I will make you a great nation, descendants will come from you. God has been fulfilling that, and they're too numerous in Egypt. And it is a threat to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh originally tries to breed them out by killing off all the male Hebrews. When that doesn't work, he puts them into intense slavery and treats them harshly. And Moses, if you remember, he was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. But yet he grew up in Pharaoh's house. He had just spent 40 years in exile because he had murdered an Egyptian when trying to protect a Hebrew that was being mistreated. And after 400 years of silence, God met Moses in a burning bush and commissioned him to go back to Egypt to set Israel free. And Moses had every excuse in the book of why he shouldn't be obedient to God, And yet we saw last week how in all of Moses' insufficiency was met by God's complete sufficiency. Moses meets up with his brother Aaron in the desert, and they go back to Egypt, and they they rally the troops. Everyone gets pumped up. This God that they didn't really know before shows that he actually cares uh, about them. He has seen their afflictions, and chapter 5 ends with them in worship. Things are going, things are looking right, things are on the upswing. And isn't it true that when we're at the height of expectation, when everything seems to be going right, things are going great, and then something happens? And then maybe something else happens on top of that. Or maybe one of those things uh, just gets worse. It's that that proverbial, when it rains, it pours. And that's what's happening now here in chapter 5. Let's look at chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. So, on a 1 to 10 scale, this business proposal that Moses gives to Pharaoh is about a negative 6. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. He's never heard of this God. He's got a host of gods in his pantheon in the Egyptian religious system, and the Lord doesn't fall into this. And he charges Moses and Aaron with what amounts to uh, organizing a labor union, and there's no collective bargaining with a dictator. So Pharaoh figures that if these Hebrews have enough time to sit around and talk about their troubles and elect a couple of union representatives and, ha- and demand to have a meeting with the boss, then they have enough time to work more. They're lazy. That's what Pharaoh charges them now in verses 6 through 9. Let's look like at those. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it. And pay no regard to lying words. So the problem just keeps getting worse here. It's as if they would have been better off if Moses just would have shut his mouth and not gone at all. Now look at verses 10 through 19 with me. So the taskmasters and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw." Go out and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work, no straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So it can't get any worse than this. They're given additional tasks on top of what they were already doing. The foreman make the mistake of questioning and actually blaming the Egyptians for their problems. And they don't get anywhere. And perhaps you've had days or periods like this before. Perhaps you're going through one right now where you had such high hopes and it just seems like life continues to beat you down and you question, I can't possibly take any more of this. What is going on You feel like you want relief, but it is just not coming. And this anticipation that you had for something great actually works as an abrasive rather than a salve. And our hearts are discouraged. Well, verses 20 through 23 then reveal one way that our hearts show our discouragement, and that is in the form of blame. Look at how the Israelites blame others. Look in verses 20 and 21. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came, uh, came out from Pharaoh, they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now it's true that things have gotten worse since Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. But it's not as if life was easy before this. And their elders now take not only their current troubles, but all of their troubles in the past, and they put them on Moses and Aaron. And it appears that they want to blame them for all of their troubles that they've had. And isn't it true that when things go wrong, our frustration makes us have irrational connections with things. The person or the object of our problems suddenly turn into the source of everything that's wrong with the world. We start talking out the sides of our mouth, say things that maybe we don't want to say. And notice how they... how. Blaming others leads to blaming God. Look in verses 22 and 23. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses blames God now, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh for the trouble that they're in. He questions God's wisdom in sending him. And the funny thing is, is that if God would have chosen anyone else, it would have been the same result. Moses just happens to be the messenger. And this is the burden of leadership. Moses is rejected and blamed by Pharaoh and Moses is blamed by the Israelites. This is leadership. And in one sense, he accuses God of not being good on his word. And in another sense, he blames God for his lack of omnipotence. He's not powerful here. How many times when, we, uh, when times get tough do we ask these kind of questions? Is God actually good on His Word? Maybe He is. But maybe He's not omnipotent, but He's impotent. He doesn't have the power to do what He says that He will do. And as a result, we are inclined to forget God because it seems easier for us to do things on our own. So then how can we examine our hearts then in difficult days? The first is that we need to remind ourselves that this battle is really not about you. This battle is not about you. There is a cosmic battle that is happening in these chapters. It is Pharaoh versus the Lord. Look in verse 1 for just a moment. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord. Now, if you jump to verse 10, the taskmasters and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. There are competing powers here. And Moses has very little to do with this conflict here. He is just the ambassador. It is God's word and his claim to rule up against Pharaoh's word and Pharaoh's uh, claim to rule. God says his people should rest more. Pharaoh says these people should work more. And many times we go through tough times realizing that we are in the middle of spiritual warfare. Right now, God is waging war for your soul against demonic forces of this world. Against Satan and his demons. In Ephesians 6:12, this is what Paul writes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then first Peter in five eight writes this: "Be sober minded, be watchful. your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we need to remember that this battle that we're in right now, we are caught up in a cosmic battle between God and Satan. And it is played out in our lives. And the second thing is is that we need to examine our allegiances. Examine your allegiance. In verse 21... Um, they they say, look on, the Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh, and his servants have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Israelites at this point don't know the Lord, and from all their inclinations, this Lord is weak; he can't do anything. So they want to choose Pharaoh, because obviously Pharaoh is in the driver's seat here. And you and I are choosing our gods every single day. We are choosing functional saviors that we feel will win the day for us. Money, sex, power, prestige, ease, comfort, our abilities, our wit. We believe that these things can deliver us from whatever it is we're going through. Moses, however, rightly goes straight to the source. He goes straight to God. And yes, he may voice some concerns. And yes, he may pose some criticisms here. But at least he's going to the Lord, which is more than many of us do. So we need to examine our allegiance. But also check your reactions. Check your reactions. Is feeling disappointment bad? No. It's not sinful to feel disappointed. Is it sinful to be hurt by someone else? Not for you to be hurt. It's sinful for someone else to hurt you. But the feeling of being hurt is not sinful. We cannot control many of the situations that come our way. But oftentimes when we are sinned against, our reactions are just as equally sinful as the hurts that come our way. And it's in these times of pain that we need to examine our hearts and think, how am I reacting to this? And what is it that I truly want? Sit back. And take note of your anger, your manipulation, your attitude. These things can tell you a lot about the state of your heart. And if you remember in Luke chapter 6, Jesus told us that it's from out of the mouth that the heart speaks. So when we examine our hearts, we see the way that our hearts veer during difficult days. But we can be encouraged by fleeing to the Lord. But in order to flee to the Lord, we have to know the Lord. And that's our second point this morning, is that we need to know who the Lord is. Know who the Lord is. I, um, maybe you're like me, I have a really nasty habit. I lose a lot of things. (laughs) And it would be helpful if they were like non-important things, but like when it comes to like your wallet or like your keys, I just lose them all the time. Asking my wife, well, where's my wallet? Well, where's the last place you you put it? Well, if I remember the last place I put it, then I wouldn't be asking you where my wallet was. And I know what the solution is. It's to put them where they belong in the first place, right? But sometimes putting them where they belong isn't the most convenient. Some of you feel me on that one? Yes, thank you. And I'm convinced that we do the exact same thing with God God's rightful place is on the throne of our hearts, but for whatever reason, whether it's out of convenience or it's just a slip of the mind, we tend to put God in the back uh, recesses of our minds and we just lose track of him. We forget about him. And when times of suffering and hardship and confusion and difficulties, they come up, and we ask questions like, where's God? Where is He? And we start believing things about Him that simply are not true. And it comes back down to the fact that if we knew the Lord our lives wouldn't necessarily be more or less messy or have less problems, but we certainly would have an anchor and a rock by which we can be encouraged. You know, R.C. Sproul once said that the biggest problem in the church is that we don't know the Lord. We don't know the Lord. In Exodus... Uh, God does something that he hasn't done yet up to this point in human history. He reveals his name. At the burning bush, uh, when Moses asked him, who shall I tell the people that you are, Uh, he responds by telling Moses, and it's roughly translated, I am who I am. That's what you tell them my name is. It's the Hebrew word that's typically pronounced Yahweh. uh, And you might say, well, what's the big deal, right? It's just a name. But when it comes to God, his name is shorthand for who he is. Right now I'm reading this fascinating biography about Johnny Carson. And one thing about Johnny Carson is that he loved to go to restaurants. He never actually ate at home. He always went out to eat. And so he was so well known around his restaurants that if he were to tell his friends or those that he were going, was going to eat with, he would say, go and call this restaurant and tell them that Johnny wants a table. With the mention of Johnny's name, it didn't matter if that restaurant was packed and every table was taken. When Johnny showed up, there was a table that was ready for him and his party. See, a name, a powerful name, can open almost any door. And so God here reveals himself by his name, Yahweh. And if there was a theme about what the entire book of Exodus was about, it would be this, that the world would know Yahweh That the world would know the Lord, and that there is no other God besides him. He wants his people to know this. Look in chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He wants Egypt to know this. Look in chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptian shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Egypt here is representation of the entire world. The phrase happens numerous times through Exodus Yahweh's people will know him by his saving acts, Yahweh's enemies will know him by his judgments. So how does Yahweh encourage Moses and us then because of who he is? The first thing that we ought to see is that Yahweh is sovereign. He is in control. Look in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out and with a strong hand he will drive him out of his land. You see the thing that Moses forgot at the burning bush was that when he sent when 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 the Lord sent Moses to Egypt he told Moses plainly Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And Yahweh makes Moses realize that he that Yahweh is in control of the outcome not just the outcome but also the timing and how this is going to go down. And God will often do that to us as well when He will allow failure in our lives, when He will allow hard times in our lives so that we can trust Him more to do what only He can do. And often that comes in painful waiting. Look in in chapter 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Translation God wins. God wins. Every time in your life, in my life, in the span of history, God wins. God is in control, but also, He keeps His word. He is faithful to His promises. Look in chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them uh, the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered My covenant. So God mentions two motives for his redemption. The first is that he hears his people's cries and their pain. And second, that he remembers his covenant promise. And he's, like we said before, he's fulfilled half of this. His people are numerous. And he's about to fulfill the other half by bringing his people into the land that he promised. But, this pain that Yahweh's people are suffering are His catalyst by which way, by the way that He is going to fulfill His promise. The pain that you are experiencing in your life right now may very well be the catalyst for something greater that God is going to do in your life. Namely, showing you who He is, and how great He is. So, He is faithful in His promise. But thirdly, He's also redemptive. He is redemptive. Look in verses 6 through 8. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. The word deliver there in verse 6 is the same word As redeem. That word is often placed on people throughout the Bible as the redeemer. You think of Boaz in the book of Ruth, it's the same exact word. A redeemer. It is someone who avenges, uh, of many things, avenges murdered family members. Someone that redeems an enslaved relative. Someone that provides an heir for a deceased relative. A redeemer is an avenger. He is a protector. He is a provider, oftentimes at great cost to himself. And Yahweh sees the slavery and the vulnerability and the pain of his people, and he tells Moses, get ready, because I am going to show you what a redeemer does. And God isn't just going to redeem his people from physical slavery. He saves his people from spiritual slavery. Verses 6 through 8 is a a key summary to what the whole Bible is about. God redeeming us from slavery to sin in verse 6. In verse 7, so that we can be his people. Living in His new kingdom. Verse 8. He redeems us so that we can see Him as Yahweh. Trustworthy to lead, to love, and to guide all of our lives. And He does that primarily through Jesus Christ. And that's the fourth way that God encourages us. That Yahweh is Jesus. You remember in, in John chapter eight, Jesus is sort of in, in an exchange with some of the Jews, and he, they're talking about Abraham and all these things of, of Israelite past, and, and they start accusing Jesus of, of saying that he is, he's eternal and all these things. And if you remember, Jesus basically drops the mic when he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am." Do you get what Jesus is saying there? Before Abraham was Yahweh. Now you can see why he got into such big trouble with the Jews of his time. This is backed up in Jude verse 5 when Jude writes this. Now I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, get this, that Jesus, not God the Father, That Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. What are we to take from that? If Jesus can save God's people from harsh slavery in Egypt if he is faithful to all of his promises, and if he is in total control, then he can certainly redeem you from whatever it is you are in right now. God's ultimate redemption didn't come from Egypt. It came from an empty cross and an empty tomb. So if you want to know the fullness of who God is when bad days go worse, you look to the empty cross and the empty tomb. And you look to those things when you're confused about what God is doing when you're struggling to trust him. You look to the empty tomb when the the world seems to be crashing down on you. You look to Jesus when it seems like all Hope is gone. You look to Jesus when it feels like no one loves you, no one is with you, when you're completely alone. You look to Jesus when you're scared about your future. You look to Jesus when you're tempted to return to that addiction or to return to that problem. You look to Jesus when you're worried about your finances. You look to Jesus when friends have abandoned you. Whatever it is that is ailing you in life, the only thing that is gonna get you through it is Jesus. So how do you know God fully? It is knowing Jesus. It is knowing Him and the power of His resurrection. That's the point of Exodus, to know the Lord, to know Jesus. So the question is, do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Not just facts about Jesus. That's not what I'm asking. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? In Jesus, God the Father has redeemed his children from slavery to sin to be his people, to live in his kingdom. So how do you get to know him? Well John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us and says but all, to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God God will redeem you he will change your life he'll make you new You can know Him today by receiving Him. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but I'm going to pray for three kinds of people this morning. The first is those who have never known Yahweh. Those who, what I've been saying today up to this point, has been completely unfamiliar or maybe even weird, but it's starting to click And I encourage you to receive Jesus and pray along with me when I do that. Second, I want to pray for those who have examined their hearts and found that maybe I don't know the Lord as well as I thought I did. And maybe wandering from God. And I want to also pray for those who needed some encouragement today from a gracious and a merciful God. You know bad days they'll come and they may get worse but if they do there is a sovereign god who hears our cry who has suffered with us is is with us and can encourage us know him go to him And be encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, life is difficult. This isn't a surprise to say that or to feel that or to experience that, Lord. Lord Jesus, you said yourself that when we knew you, it wouldn't get easier. It would get harder. And so, Father, I want to pray for those today who need encouragement from you that whatever it is they have going on in their life, Lord, that they would see you as sovereign, in control, and that whatever it is you're doing in their lives, it would be for your glory and their good. I want to pray for those who who have examined themselves today and maybe have lost track of a holy God and, and put him on the back shelf rather than on the throne in their heart, God, that they would again live for Him. Father, I want to pray for those today who have never known You. God, I want to ask that right now they would say in their heart, Lord Jesus, I receive You. Make me into Your child. Help me live uh, life not according to my own works, but according to what Jesus has already done for me. Lord, would You do that miracle of giving, saving faith this morning, Father. And as we leave this place, wherever we're at, God, would you help us to be encouraged to live life for your glory so that others may see how great you are. Do that work. Do that miracle today, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You say... far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all. Have a blessed afternoon. If we can have some guys help. No, you know what? We don't have youth. We don't need chairs this week because we have a meeting.